Good day, everyone. I'm turning my life over to you, Jesus. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible, not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith, walk in God's amazing grace by learning Bible truth and continue to praise the living God. saints i am glad to be back i thank god for another year we survived 2020 it is in the history books my god my god my god i thank god that i am still here i thank god that he has a hedge of protection around me and my family and my brothers and sisters in christ now we are going to tour 2nd Samuel. Now, the last time I was on the air teaching, we concluded 1st Samuel. Now, for those of you who don't know, 1st um, Samuel, uh, according to Jewish rabbis, teachers, was written by Samuel, the prophet Samuel, the great prophet Samuel, but he died in 1st Samuel. Now, 2 Samuel, there is a little confusion about who the author is. It was possibly written by Abiathar the priest. Now, these events took place between, I'd say, 931 and 722 B.C. Now, David is the forerunner of the Messiah. Now, the key persons in 2 Samuel would be David, Nathan, Absalom, Joab, and Bathsheba. Now, for those of you who don't know the history of 1st and 2nd Samuel, they were originally one book called the Book of Samuel. Now, the actual author is unknown. We don't know who wrote 2nd Samuel, but Samuel undoubtedly had written a great deal about this time in Israel's history. However, we don't know who the author is. Now, with that said, I will be reading from the NIV, which is the New International Version. It doesn't matter which version of the Bible you have. Although a lot of versions have some errors in it, we will end up in the same place because I also share commentary as I read. Now, with that said... I hope you are in 2 Samuel chapter 1. We are picking up from when Saul, who was king of Israel, he was the first king of Israel, had been killed. And David finds out. So I will commence to reading verse 1 in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites. 
and stayed in Ziklag two days. Verse 2, on the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him, him honor. Verse 3, where have you come from, David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. Verse 4, what happened, David asked, tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died. And Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Now, this is David's first time hearing about the death of Saul, who was David's enemy, and Saul's son Jonathan, who was David's best friend. Verse 5, then David said to the young man who brought him the report, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? David is trying to confirm this. Verse 6, I happen to be on Mount Gilboa. Now this, my friends, before I read this, is what can happen to you when you lie thinking you are doing something good but had no idea what you were doing? Because the way he is going to explain how Saul died is not the truth. And I'm here to tell you, I guarantee you he wish he could have taken it back. Because him lying to David, he thought that he would be in good standings with David if he said that he did what he did. Now, I want you to listen. Verse 6. I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said. And there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. <clears throat> Excuse me. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me and I said, what can I do? He asked me, who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Verse 9, then he said to me, stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. Verse 10, so I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. My Lord is David. That's what they called, and I'm talking about Lord with a, a, a lowercase l, men who were in authority. Now, he thought by telling David this, that he would be in good standings with David, that David would show him favor. But watch what happened as a result of him lying. Verse 11, then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. Verse 12, they mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son, Jonathan. And for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Verse 13, David said to the young man who brought him the report, where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner and a Melchite, he answered. Verse 14, David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Now, I want to digress right here for a second, because people use these Old Testament scriptures to justify behavior. You have to remember, Saul was not God's anointed. God had removed his spirit from Saul, had completely deserted Saul, wasn't even communicating with him. Saul couldn't even communicate to God. Saul was pure evil at heart. However, David didn't realize all these things were going on with Saul. All David knew is that Saul was trying to kill him, 
to prevent him from becoming king of Israel because Saul did not want to relinquish that power. David wasn't aware that God had disconnected himself from Saul. He was not. So we cannot use the scripture of 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 14, when David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? We have false teachers that use this scripture to say, look how bad Saul was. And David uh, said that, that, that Saul is God's anointed. No, we have to look at the entire picture. David didn't know that, that God wasn't talking to Saul. David didn't know that God had completely cut himself off from Saul. It was Samuel, the prophet, bless his heart, who was also the last judge of Israel, who told David that God had chosen him to be king and had delivered the message to Saul that God was removing his spirit from him and that God uh, did not want him to be king because he was disobedient to God. He would not follow the orders that God had issued to him through the prophet Samuel. So with that said, I'm going to um, break uh, uh, several times during this message. Because I want to explain some uh, uh, commentary about scriptures that false teachers use. That's why I read entire books and entire chapters. David is saying that, but that's not true. That's not true. God specifically, intentionally removed his spirit from Saul. Now let's pick up at verse 15. Then David called one of his men and said, go strike him down. Strike who down? The one who brought that message to him. So he struck him down and he died. Verse 16, for David had said to him, your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said I killed the Lord's anointed. Now, he, here is the thing what I want you to understand about uh, verse 16. When David said your blood be on your own head. Now, this was a lying Amalekite. He lied. He just wanted to get in, in David's good grace. Um, and he is responsible for his own death. Okay. This young man had presumed to, to do what David himself had twice refused to do. That is to kill Saul. Okay. So David, this man didn't know what was going on between David, his heart and God and, and Saul and, and David. Now, David just, let me tell you, he wasn't perfect. We are going to read some horrific things that David was involved in during 2 Samuel. And, and it displeased God. But the difference between King David and evil King Saul and a lot of other evil, evil kings is that David was remorseful after he did bad things. After he found out that what he did displeased the Lord, David immediately repented. He confessed his sin, he apologized for it, and he was genuinely remorseful about it. So I, I want to make sure y'all understand as we go along, go along, is some things God was just simply not um, supportive of. Okay, uh, verse 17, David took up his lament, meaning he uh, started to grieve. Uh, concerning Saul and his son, Jonathan, really, he was grieving over Jonathan because those of you who followed uh, the first series with first Samuel, you knew that David and Jonathan had made a pact. They were very close. They had a bromance going on. They were not gay. They had a bromance. They really, truly loved one another. And you're going to find out just how much David loved Jonathan throughout this series. 
Okay, verse 17 again. David took up his lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. Verse 18. And he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament, this grief of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher. Now, the book of Jasher is not in the Holy Bible. For some reason, it was removed by the scholars who really don't have authority to remove anything from the Bible. I have the book of Jasher. I'm not going to read anything from it. But the book of Jasher um, actually means uh, the book of the upright one. Now, but Jasher is, is uh, generally left untranslated into English, which is another reason why it's not in the Holy Bible, because the translators did not translate it uh, from Hebrew to English. I don't know why. Maybe it was difficult to do, but I have it in English. I've read it, so there is no reason why I think it should not be in the Bible. But see, men, you have to watch uh, when men try to tamper with God's word, okay? It's not up to men to to put in the Bible and take out the Bible what they think should be there and what they think should be removed. So I, that's about all I'm going to um, mention about the book of Jasher because that's not what this story is about. But what um, this is saying in verse 18, um, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this layman of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher. OK, the uh, what David taught or ordered the people to be taught is written in the book of Jasher. If I felt the need that uh, that you should hear it, I would read from it. You guys know I will read from some of the apocryphas, but um, not in this case. So let's pick up at verse 19. This is David singing. Now, listen, we know David was a psalmist. He wrote the book of Psalms and Song of Psalms. David was super talented. He, he wasn't just a mighty warrior, a great fighter in war. David was also a musician and a singer. So listen to this, verse 19. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Verse 12. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Least the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Now, the uncircumcised are non-Jews. Okay, anyone who is not a Jew is an uncircumcised. Verse 21, mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. Verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan in life, they were loved and admired by Saul's people. Um, they were loved and admired and in death, they were not parted, meaning Jonathan stuck with his, his father. He knew his father was evil and his father hated David because he didn't want to give up that power or relinquish the power of being a king. But he still loved his father uh, and he died with his father. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Verse 24, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothe you in scarlet and finery who adorn your garments with ornaments of gold. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. 
Jonathan lies slain on your heights. Verse 26, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. That was David's best friend. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. That's why some uh, men assume in these scriptures that Jonathan and David had a homosexual affair, but no, they did not. It's okay to love your brother, your brother in the Lord. And that was between these two. They really had a very strong love for one another. Uh, verse 27, how the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. Now, before we go to chapter two, let me explain the song that David just created in his heart and started singing. Now, um, when he says the words, uh, how the mighty have fallen, they are repeated in verses 25 and 27 and mark the beginning of the three sections of the song. Now, the mighty are Saul and Jonathan, and I assume you gathered that. Now, when Gath and Ascalon, when David mentioned those two cities, they are two of the cities of the Philistines or either Philistines. Both uh, pronunciations are correct. Now, Gilboa uh, is a ridge of high hills running diagonally from the northwest to, to southeast, forming the southern boundary of the Valley of Jezreel, which is also Armageddon with an elevation of 1,695 feet. Now the terrace fields, they produce fruit for the first fruit offerings. Now the shield was no longer rubbed with oil or clean with oil, but still had the blood of battle on it. Now Jabesh Gilead is the city that Saul saved from the, uh, uh, the Ammonites in his first military action after being uh, anointed king of Israel. You can read about that in first Samuel, um, chapter 11, verses one through 13. Now, because of this, excuse me, they are kind to him. Now, Ish Besheth, my God, means man of shame. This was Saul's son. His name originally was Esh Baal, meaning man of Baal. Now, Baal is another name for Satan. Now, the discrepancy between the time that Ishbosheth ruled, which was two years, and the time David was in Hebron before ruling over Israel was seven and a half years. Um, this is the best explained by David's refusal to seize the throne. He was content to wait until the people came to him, confirming God's anointing and timing. He knew that because he didn't want to kill Saul, that he would eventually become king when Saul was either killed and he knew Saul was going to die a horrible death. He mentions that in first Samuel. I talked about that. I read about that. Now we are entering chapter two. Verse one, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked, the Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered, verse two. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal or either Nabal of Carmel, of Carmel, I'm sorry. Verse three, David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Verse four, then the men of Judah came to Hebron and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. He had not been anointed king of Israel yet because he has to fight against Saul's son. 
Saul had a, a one son that was not with him in war that did not die with Jonathan and his other brother. No, uh, Saul had four sons. It was Jonathan and two of his, two of his other brothers died in war with their father, Saul. And one son was left and we're going to read about him. I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead of myself anymore. Uh, let me read verse four again. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. When David was told that it was the men from Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say to them, the Lord bless you for showing kindness or this kindness to Saul your master by burying him. Verse six, may the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness. This is why uh, David is going to be nice to them because they, they went and took Saul and Jonathan's body down from out of that pagan temple and brought them home and, and gave them a proper burial. Uh, verse six again, may the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness. And I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Verse seven, now then be strong and brave for Saul, your master is dead and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. The people of Judah anointed David king over them. But here's the thing. Um, they didn't, David didn't need to be anointed by the people of Judah because God had anointed David to be king of Israel and Judah. Okay. You got to remember, uh, Israel and Judah were once, uh, one, uh, nation, but they were divided. I want to, I don't want to get into that. That's a whole nother teaching. Verse eight. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, pay attention to this, had taken Ish-bosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahaniam. Verse nine. He made him king over Gilead, Asheri, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Verse 10, Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel and he reigned two years. Now, here's the thing. God never chose him to be king over Israel. He put himself there. See, if you put yourself, especially over a nation and God didn't put you there, bad things happen to you. I'm going to make it as simple as that. Um, let me read verse 10 again. Um, Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king of Israel and he reigned two years. The tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. Verse 11, the length of time David was king in Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. Verse 12, Abner, son of Ner, together with the men of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, left Mahaniam and went to Gibeon. Verse 13. Joab, son of Zeruiah, and David's men went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. One group sat down on the on the one side of the pool and one group on the other side. Verse 14, then Abner said to Joab, let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. <laughs> Unbelievable acting like children. But watch what happened. This is real. This is historical events that actually took place. Um, verse 14, again, then Abner said to Joab, let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. All right, let them do it, Joab said. Verse 15, so they stood up and were counted off 12 men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and 12 
for David. Now, David wasn't there and did, and did not know this was taking place. Verse 16, then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side and they fell down together. So that place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hezarium. Uh, verse 17, the battle that day was very fierce. And Abner and the Israelites were defeated by David's men. Anyone who came up against David's men or David, King David, lost. And if you follow me when we toured First Samuel, we, you know it. God had already told David, anyone that comes up against you is going to lose. And see, when God makes that statement, God means what he says. And these, these men were a part of David's army. This is why Saul's people lost the battle to them. Verse 18, the three sons of Zuriah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. So you know he could run. Verse 19, chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. Verse 20, Abner looked behind him and asked, is that you, Asahel? It is, he answered. Verse 21, then Abner said to him, turn aside to the right or to the left. Take take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. But Asiel would not stop chasing him. And let me tell you, the <laughs> no, let me keep reading. Because see, I know what uh, I'm going to uh, read before I get to it because I've studied this already. And some of this stuff is funny, but it really isn't. Okay. Um, verse 21 again, then Abner said to him, turn aside to the right or to the left, take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. But Asahel would not stop chasing him. Verse 22, again, Abner warned Asahel, stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look your brother Joab in the face? He didn't want to kill um, Asahel because he was friends with his brother. Okay, verse 23, but Asahel refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Asahel's stomach and the spear came out through his back. He fell there and died on the spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died. Verse 24, but Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was setting, they came to the hill of Amaha near Gia, on the way to the wasteland of Gibeon. Verse 25, then the men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner. They formed themselves into a group and took their stand on top of a hill. Verse 26, Abner called out to Joab, must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? He's saying we need to stop fighting. How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their fellow Israelites? Verse 27, Joab answered, as surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would have continued pursuing them until morning. Verse 28, so Joab blew the trumpet and all the troops came to a halt. They no longer pursued Israel, nor did they fight anymore. Verse 29, all that night, Abner and his men marched through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, continued through the morning hours and came to Mahanaim. Verse 30, then Joab stopped pursuing Abner and assembled the whole army. Besides Asahel, 19 of David's men were found missing. Verse 31, 
But David's men had killed 360 Benjamites who were with Abner. Verse 32, they took Asahel and, bur and, and buried him in his father's tomb at Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. Now, uh, we are getting ready to go into chapter 3. I'm beginning at verse 1. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker because God didn't put Saul's, he didn't put Saul's son there. Okay, David is supposed to be king. Um, verse 2. Son, uh, sons were born to David in Hebron. Now we are getting ready to list all of David's children. Okay, listen, I'm going to struggle uh, pronouncing these names, but, but bear with me. Uh, verse two, again, sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. That's one of his wives. Verse three, his second, Keliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. That's one of David's wives, Abigail. The third, Absalom, the son of Maacah, daughter of Temiel, king of Geshur. Verse four, the fourth was Adonijah, the son of Hagith. The fifth was Shabdatai, the son of Abital. Verse five, and the sixth, was Athriam, the son of David's wife, Eglia. Now, David had many wives. Some um, we didn't hear about when he married them, but every woman that David liked, he took them as, as his wife. Now, back then, you could have as many wives as, as you, you, you choose. But today, especially in America, it is against the law to have more than one wife or more than one husband. It's called bigamy, Okay. Um, verse six, during the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Verse seven. Now, Saul had had a concubine named uh, Ritzpah, daughter of Aya. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Verse eight. Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said. So he answered, am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day, I am loyal to the house of your father, Saul, and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David. Yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. Verse nine, may God deal with Abner. Be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on, um, promised him on oath, verse 10, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Now he's saying, look, I already know God chose uh, David to be king and so does Saul's son, but they don't care. You know why? Because God allowed things to play out just like he does today. And because God allowed things to play out, people think God is not going to do them anything. But judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming, people. Let me read verse 10 again. Um, verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, verse 10, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. 
uh, verse 11, Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. Verse 12, then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Verse 13, good, said David, I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Now, for those of you who don't know, who are listening uh, for the first time um, and you did not hear me read about first Samuel, Michael was David was Saul's daughter that David had married. And David, when Saul started pursuing to kill him, David had to leave her. So and David, as we can see, had a thing for women. I don't want to harp on that because that's one of the things I, I take issue with with David. And trust me, he's going to do some things that are far worse than having many wives here. Um, verse 14, then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, give me uh, my wife, Michael, whom I bethrawed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskin. Now, for those of you who are unaware of what David is talking about, when he and Saul were friends back then, Saul loved him as a son. He was a part of Saul's army. David had defeated the Philistines, especially when he defeated Goliath. Saul had given his daughter Michael to David to be his wife. And so when Saul started pursuing David to kill him because he did, he found out that God had chosen David to be king of Israel and was going to and, and not going to, but had removed him from power. Uh, David was forced to leave his wife. Now it's just shocking to me that all the wives that David have now, he's still thinking about Michael. That's one of the issues I had with, with David, but let me move forward. Verse 15. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband, Peltiel, son of Laish. Verse 16, her husband, however, went with her weeping behind her all the way to Bararium. Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back and David knew she had been remarried and still sent to have her brought to him. And he was wrong for that. He was wrong for that. Verse 17, Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, for some time you have wanted to make David your king. Verse 18, now do it for the Lord promised David by my servant, David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Verse 19, Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. Verse 20, when Abner had, uh, I'm sorry, verse 20 again, when Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Verse 21, then Abner said to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my Lord, the king, so that they may make a covenant with you and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Verse 22, just then David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. Um, things they had stolen, the goods they had stolen from somewhere. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away and he had gone in peace. 
verse 23, when Joab and all the soldiers uh, with him arrived, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and that he had gone in peace. Verse 24. So Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. Verse 25. You know, Abner, son of Ner, he came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you are doing. See, they, they thinking that Abner, you know, you know, is deceiving David. He just came to see what was going on and how they can actually bum rush David. And um, listen to the rest. Listen to the rest. Verse 26. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the cistern at Sirah. But David did not know it. David didn't know any of this. Verse 27. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel. Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Verse 28. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. Verse 29. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and on his whole family. May Joab's family never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. Verse 30, Joab and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel in the battle of Gibeon. Verse 31, then David said to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the buyer. Now the buyer is a stand you put a casket on. Okay, verse 32. They buried Abner in Hebron and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. All the people wept also. Verse 33. The king sang this lament for Abner. This was a song in grief. And this is another one of David's songs. Listen. Should Abner have died as the lawless died? Verse 34, your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked, fettered meaning shackled. And all the people wept over him again. Verse 35, then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath saying, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely. If I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. Verse 36, all the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. Verse 37, so on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that king, that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Verse 38, then the king said to his men, do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day. Verse 39. And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. And these sons of Zeruah are too strong for me. Because David was, was in mourning and he couldn't fight that day. Mm -mm. Even though he was a mighty warrior, he couldn't fight that day because he was in mourning. 
May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. Now, this statement is true to this day, that God will pay or repay the evildoer for his evil deeds or according to his evil deeds. Now, before we go into chapter four, which will be the last chapter of episode one, um, I don't know how many episodes is going to take to complete this series. I'm hoping it will, I will be able to complete it within five or six episodes. Okay. Um, I want to say you have to understand, although David was not perfect, he was not a perfect king. He had a heart for people. You can pick up on that. I'm sure. Um, David had a heart after God. He wanted to have God's heart and God cares about people, but evildoers, the Lord will definitely repay the evildoer according to his or her deeds. Now let's, uh, begin in verse one of chapter four. When Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage and all Israel became alarmed. Verse two. Now Saul's son had two men who were leaders of raiding bands. One was named Baana and the other Rechab. They were sons of Rimon, the Berathite from the tribe of Benjamin. Berath is considered part of Benjamin. Verse three, because the people of Berath fled to Gitiam and have resided there as foreigners to this day. Now this was 10,000 years ago. So I don't, I don't know if the people of, uh, Birat are still in Gitiam. I, I don't know that I didn't do research on it because it really, you know, has no bearing on what I'm reading today or your salvation today. Okay. Um, verse four, Jonathan, son of Saul had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Now we are getting ready to read about the oath that David took with Jonathan when they were still, when they were friends and David had to run from, uh, for his life from, um, Saul's palace. They made an oath that when David finally became king, that he would make sure he take care of Jonathan's family. Okay. And David is a man of his word. Okay. Listen, let me read for again. Jonathan, son of Saul had a son who was lame in both feet. He, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Verse five. Now Rechab and Bahana, the sons of Remanon, the Berathite, set out for the house of Ishbosheth, and they arrived there in that in the heat of the day while he was taking his noonday rest. Now watch what happens. Verse six. They went into the inner part of the house as if to get some wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and his brother Bana'ah slipped away. They ran. They slipped in there to kill him. And then they ran out of the house like they hadn't done nothing. Verse seven. They had gone into the house while he was lying on the bed in his bedroom. After they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head, taking it with them. They were some evil men. They traveled all night by way of the Arabah. Verse eight. They brought the head of Ish. 
Besheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. This day the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, against Saul and his offspring. Now we got to remember the last time somebody came to David thinking they had good news. So I want you to listen to David's response because he just, David just wasn't someone who exacted revenge on anyone. He didn't have that type of heart because he did some evil things. Now we're going to get to it, but he didn't have that type of heart. He didn't, he didn't exact his revenge on no one. Verse nine, David answered Rechab and his brother Baanah, the sons of Rimon, the Berethite, as surely as the Lord lives who has delivered me out of every trouble. Verse 10, when someone told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death in Ziklag. <laughs> that was the reward I gave him for his news. Verse 11, how much more when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed, should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Verse 12. So David gave an order to his men and they killed them. They cut off their hands and feet and hung the bodies by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. Now that was the end of, of, of chapter four. Now David views their act as a violent murder against a defenseless man because he was asleep. And so therefore back then the law was if you killed or shed innocent blood, you had to be executed. And that should exist today. Now, these radical measures send the message to the northern tribes that David holds no hatred for Saul, his tribe or his descendants. That just was not David's heart. OK, it just wasn't David's heart. Now, um, we will resume either tomorrow. I may read um, chapters five, six, seven and eight if I have time. If not, we will resume next Saturday. It gets better. Now, I want to uh, make a comment about what happened in the United States Capitol on Wednesday. Uh, I, like many others, was speechless when I saw this. However, I was not shocked because I saw this coming because of the type of man Trump is. He is a white supremacist. He is a narcissist who suffers from mental illness, just like Saul did. And he did not want to give up that power. But for him to egg on these poor people, uh, these white supremacist group groups and these KKK groups, because that is who these members are. These are militia groups. They are hate groups. He was on Twitter egging them on to do this. And for those of you who don't know, Trump privately funds these white supremacy groups. They are groups that hate the um, U.S. government and they have been trying to overthrow the U.S. government because of its democracy for years. This is not new for years. But to have someone in office whose idols are Hitler and Kim Jong-un and the 
prince of Saudi Arabia, who these are evil people. You should expect this. Now, he should have been removed from the presidency this day, even though Biden had been certified and will take office on January the 20th. He Trump needs to be removed now because by law, he is still the president and he still has some authority. So we don't know what he's capable of. So that even though, and I know you guys, I am not the only one who saw this. We had decent Republicans jumping ship saying, oh, no, I cannot support this. So I've heard several people who left Trump's cabinet months ago said when they were being interviewed after this horrific incident. And what you saw was domestic terrorism. That's what we saw. She a couple of people said one was a female. I'm not going to name them. You go on YouTube. You can pull it up. They said they saw this coming. That's why they left. They saw this coming months ago. That's why they left. They knew what was going on behind closed doors. And for them to allow this to happen, because I would have sounded the horn. I'm not afraid of Trump or any of his followers. Anything that breathes can die. So in order for this to never happen again, you cannot put a narcissist or a white supremacist in office. White supremacists are hate mongers. And you will never find one video where a Black Lives Matter group stormed the Capitol and tried to attack Congress. Congress. Let me tell you guys something. It is legal to obtain a permit to march. Okay. But it's illegal to riot. Black Lives Matter never rioted. Those were outsiders coming in and joining the Black Lives Matter march and they started rioting. It had nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter organization. And we had police pepper spraying the Black Lives Matter mothers while they were standing up against the wall, not doing anything. These were women. I saw this with my own eyes and it hurt me to the core where it's certain news I can't watch. I can't watch innocent people being hurt. We had a Capitol Police officer die, was murdered in the midst of this terrorist act. And I'm here to tell you, every last one of those people who stormed that Capitol building should be punished to the full extent of the law. If as many as they can get a hold of. And let me tell you something. There is word out that they said they are not finished. So let me tell you what's going to happen. OK. They are going to have to contend with the U.S. military and law enforcement, Capitol Police, Secret Service and FBI. They can't fight and win that battle. So what you are going to see is a lot of dead Trump supporters in the streets. That's what we are going to see. My prayer is that we have a peaceful transition. Trump knew he lost that election fair and square, but he was egging these people on because he know they're stupid. He know they're ignorant, telling them that this was the biggest fraud in American history. No, it wasn't. The fraud was he couldn't get the people who work for him to cheat. They just wasn't going to violate the law in that way because it would ruin our democracy. You see what uh, what Vice President Pence did. 
God bless him. God protect him. God put his hedge of protection over Vice President Pence because he refused to break the law for Trump. But Trump was on Twitter when Pence was speaking, saying, go ahead, Pence. Now is the time for you to get courage. Now is the time for you to do what you need to do, trying to get Pence to break the law and say he recommend that they have an investigation so that they can overturn the election. Pence wasn't going to do it because there's no evidence of fraud. This was the most watched election in history. They had people from both parties. I'm talking about Republicans and Democrats at every poll. There was no fraud. And if they had maybe a few mishaps, it definitely wasn't enough to overturn an election. So this man was lying from the get go. Now you have Republicans jumping ship because their family members saying, my God, you are part, you supported this. This was no longer the Republican Party, saints. Mm -mm. This was a cult. It was no longer the Republican Party. Mitch McConnell and his clan need to be removed or they definitely need to be voted out of office. And with that said, continue to pray for peace. I don't pray for revenge because I already know that God will pay repay evil people for their evil deeds. I know that already. I pray for peace for those in Congress and the Senate who were just as shocked as we were. Okay. I knew it would happen. I, I really wasn't shocked. I just didn't think it would happen then at the Capitol. I thought it was going to happen at the inauguration, but I was off with the timing. But I tell you, we have to continue to pray, pray for peace, pray for unity, because that's what Jesus Christ stands for. We had a lot of Christians in Congress and in the Senate. And I'm here to tell you, when those terrorists stormed the Capitol to prevent Congress from certifying Biden as the next president, laws were broken beyond your comprehension. We became an embarrassment to the entire world. Nancy Pelosi asked the Capitol chief of police to step down and he did. Rightfully so. I heard his interview and I saw his statement. He said that they had prepared staffing uh, according to the event, which was supposed to be a protest, but they forgot who was protesting. These were hate filled men who said they were going to storm the Capitol. So it makes me think, I hope it's not true. I don't have proof, but it makes me think that the Capitol Police in some way helped them. But when I heard that a Capitol Police officer had died, I said there's no way they would have put their lives on the line. But the chief failed based on the type of people who were marching. He should have had that building surrounded by the National Guard and more police officers. And he did not. So that's why he willfully stepped down when Nancy Pelosi asked him to step down. How dare the police allow criminals, terrorists, domestic terrorists come and storm our Capitol to try and erupt Congress from certifying Biden as our next president. I hope we will never see anything like this in my lifetime. I do know I have never witnessed anything like this in my lifetime, but I don't want to see it happen again before I leave this earth to go be with the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that said, saints, continue to pray in peace, continue to walk with Jesus, 
continue to praise the living God every day and thank him that he spared you in the year 2020 so that you can see year 2021. So see you next week. Peace out. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to hit the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That is the English Standard Version. God will give you a return on your gift of love. As long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. Now until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Continue to walk with Jesus, my saints. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.